then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong there. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. Only a butt. Free for your life. <laughs> 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 to a new world of parts and monsters. Konnichiwa, and welcome to Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert, and with me, as always, is Inthea. Hello. Pods and Monsters is our little podcast where we talk all about monster movies, horror movies, fantasy movies, science fiction movies, anything that deals with the supernatural, monsters, creatures, or anything of that nature. Yeah. And today, we are going to be talking about the American version of... The Grudge. What happened in that house? When someone dies in the grip of a powerful rage, a curse is born. There's something else here. And once it sees you, you can't escape the fury of the Grudge. The Grudge. So The Grudge, uh, this came out in 2004. It is a remake of the Japanese version, which was released in 2002. Uh, You had seen The Grudge previously, correct? Yes. You do it pretty well? uh, Nothing to go over? No, I didn't care for it the first time I watched it. Yeah, I I felt the same way. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you why after we discuss the movie. Oh, I think I have an idea why. (laughs) Uh, Which is completely different from mine, I, I assume. I just thought it was not good. Okay. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think you know the reason why I don't like it. Or why you didn't like it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, why don't we just get right into this? Okay. I might as well mention here at the top that the reason we chose to do The Grudge right now is just recently a new version of The Grudge has come out to theaters. Yes. We have not seen it yet. Nope. Um, (laughs) I hear it is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well. But I kind of want to see it. So why don't we begin? Inthea, take us back 16 years ago to 2004, where we met The Grudge. So uh, this opens with ominous music. Yes, and this is a Columbia picture, remember? Yes. Also, is it Sam Raimi's production company? Mm -hmm. Ghost House, I believe. Yep. And we get some lettering on the screen. It says, when someone dies in the grip of a powerful rage, a curse is born. The curse gathers in that place of death. Those who encounter it will be consumed by its fury. And every time, like, each sentence has its own, what's it called? Well, it dissolves out and then it picks a key word that's highlighted. So each sentence has its own, what do you call it? Fade out. Card? Yeah, it's a card. Kind of, right? So, like, you get one sentence at a time and one in. Mm -hmm. And when that sentence fades out, then um, one of the key words will be there. So I believe the first one is curse. The second one is death. And the third one is Fury. Yeah. And we open on a harbor and we see Bill Pullman, who plays a character named Peter. Yeah, um, the wonderful and, Bill Pullman. Who is not that wonderful in this. Actually, he's very, he's fine in this movie. Yeah, he didn't do anything yeah, wrong. Yeah, he didn't do anything wrong. He is looking out at the harbor and has somewhat of a concerned look on his face. And there's a woman in his bed who wakes up and she comments... That he's up early and she senses that there's something amiss with him. He looks back at her and then looks 
back out to the harbor and throws himself off of this balcony. Mm -hmm. Um, We get this bird's eye view of his body and he has like little noodly legs (laughs) splayed out all weird. Um, And then we get a street view of that. Yeah. And people are coming up shocked seeing him there. You know, I haven't watched The Grudge many times because I didn't really care for it so much in my first viewing. Mm -hmm. But this begetting has always stuck with me. It's always weird just seeing how he just flips himself so casually over that balcony to kill himself. I will say that this, out of all of the other deaths, doesn't make sense. Because, I mean, we'll get into it later on in the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm, Let's hold on the conversation about his death till the end. (laughs) Okay. Because then, yeah. It goes into the credits, which I really like these credits. Yeah, they're kind of, I don't even know how I'd say it. It's red. It's all red. And it looks like it could be blood or water, but it's sort of a materializing effect of letters appearing and all that. Yeah, like a wispy smoke Yeah, in yeah. water, but the water is red, but it's not red. It's like there's layers to this water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get this Japanese writing that materializes and then is interrupted by a hand in the water and it spells out the grudge. Yeah, and the Japanese lettering, we watched it with captions and the captions actually translated that, uh, which I, I assume it's how the original title is displayed in Japanese, but the translation says, curse the grudge. Mm. So I guess that is what it literally says in Japanese. So the hand hits it and you see the English translation, which is the grudge. Yes. There's a lot of like black lines in the water, which eventually we find out is like hair. Um, mm-hmm. Well, is hair. Um, and it like has this fluid movement, but it's also very static. It's. I thought it was yeah. really well done. It's very creepy, unsettling. Yeah. And I've told you about this in the past, how how much wet hair scares me. Yeah. So... This is a movie that might be right up my alley in Fear Factor. I guess so. <laughs> um, next, we join a woman who is biking through the city, and she walks up to a home. I should point out that we are in Japan. We are in presumably near Tokyo. Mm-hmm. She walks into the house, and there's a note from Jennifer um, who says that she's out for a walk. The woman that we've been following is named Yoko, who is taking care of an older woman named Emma. Emma is a Caucasian American woman, and so presumably Jennifer would be as well. Emma has such a weird look to her. Like that actress is just looks like she's haunted. She does. She's very <laughs> expressive, large eyes, yeah. and a tiny mouth. Yeah. And she just... she. It's very much a character actress, I would think, because she plays a lot of similar roles. There's one thing that I know her best from, which I will tell you after we discuss this. Just tell me now. All right. She is Mrs. Ross from Seinfeld. Look, Henry, I spilled wine on me. George's mother, future (gasps) mother-in-law. That's right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So Emma is unwell for some reason. Later on, we come to find out that she has severe lethargy. And dementia. And dementia. Yoko is her caretaker and is cleaning up around the house. There's a lot of just garbage around the house, which we find out later what it is. Yeah. It's lots of uh, newspapers, really. Yeah. Um, No, but there's also like food. Yeah, there's Remember, there's like food and stuff on the floor. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there's garbage around. She ends up picking up stuff and goes upstairs where she hears a creak. She goes into a room following these creaking noises. Yeah, and I want to mention that throughout this whole movie, there's a really great sound design. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, That really makes the movie for me is the sound of this movie. It's really, really good. Yeah, I I would... definitely have to agree the the combination of this creaking and then we get introduced to a gurgling noise mm-hmm. um they both almost intertwine at some point mm-hmm. uh yeah it's done super super well she follows this creak to a closet and we hear like a squishy thump from this closet she opens the door to look inside and she climbs into the closet yeah. She finds a door, like a panel in the ceiling of the closet to the attic. She looks in the attic using a lighter and we get our first jump scare of this movie. And it's a giant face. 
Yeah, as she's looking around, right behind her is the face of the haunted woman, or the woman that is haunting throughout the movie. Yes. Um, it's a big, pale, like overly pale, gray face with giant eyes. Um, and hair in and her hair. face. Yeah, and, and that's all you see. You don't see a body, nothing. Uh-huh. And um, Yoko gets pulled into the attic. Well, you see her feet, and it's like she's being sucked up mm-hmm. into the attic. Next, we come upon a sleeping Buffy Summers and um, Sarah Michelle Geller, played by Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, her character's name is Karen. Karen Davis. Now, uh, let me tell you, for those that don't know, I am a huge Buffy fan. You are. And with that, that makes me a big Sarah Michelle Geller fan. So when this came out, I was very excited to see this. There's a guy in her sleeping quarters who's getting dressed and it turns out that this is her boyfriend he's getting dressed for his architecture midterm that he's gonna be late for yeah and um, he's going around smelling all of his shirts we all play this game <laughs> whatever no i'm i'm not gonna fault him they end up having a conversation about how glad he is that she's come to japan to be with him and she's glad too she's very new to japan and she is also going to school. Uh, they end up mentioning her going to go pick up a book at the care center. So she would also be a caretaker. Yes, she's uh, volunteering there. Yes. Next, we follow them walking towards the university. And uh, she shows him a ritual happening in a cemetery. She talks about this couple who is lighting incense or this pair of people, I don't know what they are, um, lighting incense, and mentions that it's a Buddhist ritual where they light incense because it helps them find peace and it guides the spirit of whomever's past. The incense smoke carries the prayers to the spirits of their ancestors. It's to help them find peace. Next, we're at the school, and Karen is stopped by Alex. Karen? Karen? Yes, Alex? We come to find out who's played by Sam Raimi's brother, whose name I cannot remember, but he was in Xena, Warrior Princess. (laughs) His name is Ted Raimi. Thank you. And he is in basically every Sam Raimi production. He's uh, he's good in everything he does. He reminds me of Quentin Tarantino. I can see that. Kind of has the same uh, structure of a face. Oh, okay. He was also in Sequest. Oh, was he? I loved Sequest. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I was obsessed with that show. Okay, he stops her as she's walking through uh, and asks if she will fill in for Yoko. Uh, they think that Yoko is sick and that she and that's why she has missed going back to go take care of Emma. The catch here is also that Yoko has the key, which I feel like is just kind of thrown in there and kind of dumb, but whatever. Yeah, that doesn't really it doesn't matter serve for anything. our story. But uh, he tells Karen that she's ready to do this. Don't worry, Karen. You're ready. Because she's nervous. Yeah, she is nervous. And this case is a little more, it seems like, uh, where we end up finding out the backstory of Emma, that she has severe lethargy and dementia. Yeah, well, he tells her that sort of to put her as at ease because she is so lethargic and doesn't really do much that that she doesn't have much to worry about. It'll be easy to take care of her somewhat. Yeah, she sleeps but, most of the day. Right. But the thing that Karen is worried about is being on her own in Japan, not knowing the language very well, I would assume, and getting there, finding the place. And... Yeah, he tells her to take a map with her, and then we join her on her commute. And I'm going to say this, on her commute, over. I do need to figure out, though, how far away Karen's apartment is from the university, but how far away Karen's apartment is from this house. So we are following her on a commute, mm-hmm. or she has to ride the subway, or whatever public transportation to get to this house she ends up stopping to talk with a woman um, for some directions who has a child and i thought this interaction there's a lot of stuff that we get like these little bits that don't i feel pay off in the end so i thought this interaction would come in like Mm -hmm. it would circle back in some way um it it was just her asking for directions from a mom and child right yeah and then she like looks at the child and tries to interact with it but and the then kid was the, shy, the right? kid was shy, but then the mom also kind of like pushes the kid. I don't know. It was weird. 
She arrives at the house and we find Yoko's bike is still outside of the house. Yeah, she, and it's a neat looking house too. Yeah, it is very, it's very cinematic, but it's yeah. very pretty. She rings the doorbell and knocks on the door, but no answer. And um, she finds that the front door is actually unlocked. As she walks in, we see that the house is full of trash yet again. And she says, is anybody here? As she's looking around, we see there's a glass door beyond her. And there are hands that are close to the ground that are scratching at this door. It's Emma. Karen goes in and cleans her up and introduces herself to Emma. My name's Karen. After putting Emma to bed and stuff, she hears creaking again and scratching upstairs. Hello? And she goes into the bedroom with the closet and finds the closet taped up. Yeah, I'm confused as to why it's taped up and who would have done it. Well, later on in the movie, we find out that Emma walks around at night. I think it's Emma. Hmm. Yeah, it's it a throwaway line. Yeah, that might be true. So we find the taped up closet and we hear a cat in the closet. <laughs> The cat noises mutate from like this wailing to like a meowing back to like uh. a very agitated cat noise. She rips off the tape and opens the closet. She finds a journal there and we get another jump scare. <laughs> there is a very angry cat that we could hear who is being held by a child in this closet. Yeah. Little fun piece of trivia. That kid was afraid of cats oh really but you know they uh, got him to at least work with it and the first shot that we see of the cat was a puppet cat oh. and I, I he may have been holding a puppet cat a lot okay. of the time that makes sense karen calls alex and asks him to get there as soon as he can she took the book with her downstairs but this kid ended up staying upstairs he won't come downstairs uh, she gets a very concerned look as she reads it. And we find Bill Pullman, Peter's picture, in the book. There are also... And it's torn in half. Yes. He's not, but someone is torn out of this picture. Yeah. The journal contains a lot of pictures, um, a lot of drawings and hearts. and Like a love journal. Like if, like, uh, it's just a diary. Yeah, like if... Uh, when you're in junior high and you're in love with someone, they draw little hearts and, yes. you know, my name plus your name. She's left a little uneasy after this. And as she's walking around, finds a crumpled up photo of three people with two adults and this child that she found in the closet. Um, the woman's face on this, though, is removed. It's like a very severely crumpled up photo. Yeah. The kid is looking at her from upstairs and she introduces herself. His name is Toshio. 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 And when he introduces himself, he has a really deep voice. He does. He sounds real pissed and he is just like not into talking yeah. to her. Why does this little kid have such a deep voice? Because well, he's a demon. Uh, well, is he? Whatever. He's a spirit. Um, which you don't know right now. Yeah, you spoiled it. I did spoil it. Oh, man. I'm going to spoil so many things, though, in this whole however long it takes me to get through this. Okay, let's go. <clears throat> So the phone rings and it scares Karen. Important to note here, the machine picks up and the phone is missing, which actually I didn't mention earlier. Our good friend Yoko was on the phone with someone as she was walking upstairs. The machine picks up and it's Susan who's calling to check in on mom. The house belongs to Jennifer and Matthew. Hey guys. Susan. You know, at this point, it's hard to keep track of who's who. Extremely. <laughs> because you're just hearing names. But by the end of the movie, you do get you do get it all. Yes. But the way this movie is presented is very strange because you'll see we'll get a lot of flashbacks. I was on it. Yes, correct. As she's talking, we get another shot where we see that glass door behind her and a figure quickly gliding past in Emma's room. We hear Emma muttering, and when Karen goes in, she is sitting upright in the bed. Karen asks who she's talking to, and Emma says that she wants her to leave her alone. I just want her to leave me alone. Karen doesn't know who she's talking about. 
we get this shot that we're looking at Karen and Emma, but it's also looking up towards the corner of the room. And there is like this spindly black hair, hair that's coming out of the shadows of the corner. And it turns into a shadowy, gurgling figure that then comes down. And it appears right next to Karen's face. It's a memorable scene, but I've never been a fan of this effect. It's too CGI for me. Yeah, the digital effects in this movie do not... Well, a lot of effects don't hold up in this movie. There's some that are very effective and very well done. But there are others where I'm just like, mm. Yeah, but again, the sound design is really good here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We cut to the house up for sale. So now we're in our first flashback. And this movie really plays with time very effectively. We see Emma and she is walking around with three younger people, presumably her kids or family of some sort. And they arrive to the house. They are being shown this house by a realtor. One of these people, the son, his name is Matthew. Uh, We know that from the phone call that came earlier. He is a very creepy looking actor. He always creeps me out. I remember he was a lost, right? Mm -hmm. He's Ethan Rom. Ethan Rom. That's his character's name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's also Tom Cruise's cousin. Tom Cruise's cousin, yeah. Um, and he's... Who's creepier between the two? I don't know. Oh my gosh, how dare you besmirch <laughs> the good name of Tom Cruise. Not in this podcast, sir. He comments that the house will be perfect for mom. As they're looking around, they notice that she's not with them. She is upstairs and doing a very classic creepy kid thing and is just staring up at the ceiling in this upstairs room where there's a lot of creaking noises and it's very windy. The real estate agent is downstairs and looking around. He finds like a full tub sink. I can't tell the proportions of this. I'm pretty sure it's a bathtub. And he tries to take out the stopper. As he reaches down into the water, a hand comes up and grabs onto him, and he's freaked out. And as he pulls his hand up, there's hair that comes with it. Yeah, my greatest fear, wet hair not attached to a head. Ugh. But uh, when the hand comes out, isn't there like a a moan or a cry from like a a kid or something? Yeah, yeah. There's like um, this child. They associate a lot of baby noises with this child also. Yeah. It was really weird. You can't have a baby that has that deep of a voice. Yeah. So even though Emma is staring up at the corner and not responding or saying anything, um, here comes Tom Cruise's son. Oh, nope. (laughs) Here comes Matthew. And he says that they'll take it. And he's, man, he's real excited about this house. We find out that Emma's been sleeping all day, but is awake at night. Matthew hasn't noticed, but his wife Jennifer has. They've just moved to Japan, and Jennifer is unhappy and frustrated at being so new to the country. They've moved there for his job, and he asks her to try to make a life there. But if it doesn't work out, they'll go back to the U.S. Next, we're with her at the supermarket, and we get a really great scene of her really trying to just embrace the unknown and it's very simple with her trying to figure out what the flavor is of the ramen that she's about to purchase Uh, for some reason i really like that scene like it just seems so fun to go to a supermarket in japan oh man when we go to like little tokyo oh i get so overwhelmed because i'm like (laughs) i want everything because everything's delicious and the packaging is amazing yeah so i love it then you get those drinks with the little ball that falls into it yeah yeah they're so good Now she's back home and she's sleeping on the couch. And you know what? That couch looks really comfortable. It looks, (laughs) if this place wasn't so haunted, it'd be a great place to take a nap. It's a very cute (laughs) place. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad about that haunting. We hear wind and a bell and a bird and uh, then like a thump and Jennifer wakes up and the food is on the ground. She comments to Emma that if she wants something, she can just ask for it. If you want something, all you have to do is say so. Instead of just throwing things around or throwing things at her. But when she looks over from the spilled ramen, there are footprints that lead out of this room and go upstairs. So who do you think spilled over the ramen? I would assume it is... One of the ghosts, I assume. The ghost. Which ghost would have spilled it? Probably the kid, I guess. Mm, but those were adult footprints. Were they? I think so. Okay. But I mean, ugh, children, 
small women, same foot size. Yeah. The house, again, seems to just have all of this trash. And it's newspapers because they've just moved into this house. So this is all happening very quickly. Like within a day or two of them living there. Right. Because remember earlier when we mentioned how dirty the house was and there was lots of newspapers around, that's because one of the reasons is because they're just freshly moving in. Yes. So it's all, you see boxes in places and it's just packing materials that are just around the house. Um, But there's also food, junk food that's been just open and discarded. So like her ramen was on the table and the ghost yeah. The spirit knocked it over onto the ground. Mm-hmm. She follows the footprints up the stairs and the black cat is seen at one of the landings and a hand reaches for it. And we get another jump scare. Who's there? And the hand is very gray and pale. And I really like how unsettling they do make the dead in this movie. Then we get this view from the second floor of these feet running past. Jennifer enters the room and the door closes behind her. Next, Matthew is arriving and it is evening. Again, trash everywhere, even more. And Emma is sitting up. He asks where Jennifer is. And he ends up finding her upstairs in the bed in a somewhat paralyzed state. Like she is not responding, but her eyes are open and she's able to look out. at him um he says that he's going to call an ambulance she's making these really weird noises like scared moans that turn into a gurgling noise Mm -hmm. toshio appears and he's in this ghostly form and he's yeah he's like not wearing any clothes he's not wearing any clothes he's got a gray white look to him his eyes are black and he's looking at him and making these cat noises, which scares Matthew. Jen is even more scared in her paralyzed state in bed, staring up at the ceiling. And then she kind of raises up and then she dies. Yeah. Matthew hears like these running noises all around him and backs up to a closet From there, Toshio pops out of the closet and it cuts to black. (laughs) Alex arrives at the house and has to break in by Emma's room. He asks Emma for help, but we see that she's dead. And when he looks over, Karen is in the corner and she is staring up at the ceiling. Scared out of her wits. Yep. He calls the police and Detective Nakagawa and... Igarashi, they arrive. Emma's being taken away. And I did comment that she looks a little weird and like more sleeping than were before she looked a lot more pale and dead. So I was like, is she dead? But she's dead. Yeah. Um, they say that Karen is shaken and that they want her to stay in the hospital overnight for observation and evaluation. Matthew didn't show up for work that day as well. At this point, Alex tells them that Yoko is missing and she was the original caretaker who should have been there. The detectives hear uh, Susan's message and they decide that they're going, they need to talk to her as well. Here, the detective notices that the phone is missing from the holder and he plays an old school version of find my phone (laughs) and uh, hits a little button. So they follow the ringing of it and head upstairs to the back room, the closet. And that's where they find the phone. And with it, they find hair and the little door to the attic. It's like a little, I don't know, ceiling plate that you move over and it leads you upstairs into the attic. He looks around and climbs in there. In the back of it, they find the bodies of Jennifer and Matthew. And they are almost like in a mummified state. I always thought that was the scariest shot of the whole movie. It's very unsettling. It's quick, too. Yeah. There's a high-pitched noise that disturbs the detective. He, It's like a weird frequency noise. The younger detective sees something on the ground and asks, who does that belong to? And we get a shot of a bloody lower jaw that is um, still covered in a little bit of flesh. Yeah, it's gross looking. It is. We wake up with Karen at the hospital. She's not sure what happened. And her boyfriend, whose name we do not know at this point, but we come to find out later is Doug, 
tells her, which was really making me mad, tells her uh, that Emma passed away in her sleep. And she says, is that what they're saying? And doesn't really know how to explain what happened. From here, we cut to a woman in an office and it is the recording that we've now heard twice. Mm -hmm. And so this is Susan and this is her leaving the message as she's at work. Yeah, so another flashback. Yes, we hear creaking similar to the house and as she's leaving, she looks down the hallway and is very uneasy. There's nothing really happening in this hallway, but she's very freaked out. Mm -hmm. She runs into the stairwell to get away and her phone rings. It's Matthew. But when she answers, she hears the creaking and gurgling noises on the phone. Yeah, that classic uh, grudge croak. Matthew. Matthew, stop it. She tells Matthew to stop it. Why is she still at work, you think, and no one is there? Well, it's late at work. She's... I know. It's just, I mean, I guess I've been alone at work before, but I don't know. It just looks so scary <laughs> to be alone well, in a big place like that. Well, it's about to get scarier. I thought that this was really well done, this next little bit. Yeah, it is. Um, she hears activity in the stairwell, and the lights above her are kind of flickering and burn out. When she's looking down the stairs, she sees a little sliver of a person crawling up the stairs towards her, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is Horrible. Moving in a very strange way. Oh, it's very upsetting. This person very quickly catches up with her. And on her phone, she has a little lucky rabbit's foot key dongle fob type of thing. Yeah, I had one as a kid. And the person grabs onto it as she's trying to get out of the stairwell. It's the face from the closet that we saw earlier. Yeah, the, uh, the lady. She runs to security to have them check it out. And she watches the security guard through the security camera as he goes and we get some ominous music he checks everything out though and he's okay then when she looks back at the monitor she sees that there's flickering and a shadowy figure emerges out of the shadows and walks towards the camera that's really well done it is it looks like it could be real ghost footage i don't like it um (laughs) she runs out of the building and goes home As she's in the elevator, there's like a window that looks out onto each floor. And as she's going up each floor, we see a naked Toshio standing there. Yeah, naked little boy scaring people. And I love that he gets closer with every floor that she goes up. Um, And then he just disappears. Yeah, I made a joke to you saying, how many Toshios are there? Yeah. (laughs) Um, She gets home and is very relieved, but then is reminded of everything that's happened with that broken key fob. Her home phone rings and it's Matthew. He's downstairs and asks her to let him in. He asks her to remind him what apartment she lives in. Right. Which is funny because the ghost would know. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> but, ghost doesn't need to. But it is kind of neat anyway. As soon as she hangs up instantly, the doorbell rings. And she's a little freaked out by that because we've gathered that she lives quite a few floors up. Yeah. She looks through the peephole and it's Matthew. And if there's anything scarier than being haunted by a ghost, it's looking through a peephole and seeing that creepy guy's face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She angrily answers the door like he's playing a joke on her and he's not there anymore. I believe she's still holding the phone at this point. And then you hear gurgling coming from it and she runs to bed, which... I would do that too. <laughs> I would just burrito myself into the bed until everything just blows over. Oh, me too. Um, but when she climbs into bed, she finds her missing lucky rabbit's foot. Yeah. And when she just kind of looks into her bed, the face is in there and it pulls her down a la Freddy Krueger <laughs> right into her bed. But like way less bloody. Actually, there's no blood, but she disappears. Yeah, you see the uh, bodies under the covers sort of deflate into the bed. Yep. Yeah, this whole sequence is really well done. Yes. The detective is now speaking with Karen at the hospital. They haven't found the boy that she's mentioned. He shows her a photo that we saw earlier 
of the couple with the child and she confirms that that is Toshio. She says that she felt that something was wrong in that house since the moment she stepped in there. The detective goes to tell her that they found the bodies of Jennifer and Matthew in the attic and that it was a murder-suicide. As they're talking, the other detective shows up and they step out to have a conversation. He says that they checked on Susan, but that she wasn't there. And also mentions that the door was locked from the inside. He also mentions that Jennifer and Matthew, the family, were the first ones to live in that house in the three years since whatever. The incident. Karen does overhear this conversation. She leaves the hospital a little earlier than expected, and she seems a little bit out of it. She goes to visit her boyfriend, Doug, at his place of work and uh, they have a brief conversation where she tells him that she thinks that there's something in the house that they weren't alone they also are on a bus and here we get another jump scare of the face along with that gurgling that appear in a reflection in the window that karen is sitting next to it's probably the real ghost but it could be in her mind also possibly I mean, that ghost is with her for sure. Yeah. Karen is home and she's taking a shower. And here we get one of the more um, iconic known scenes yeah. from this movie. I'd say this is the most famous scene in the movie. Uh, it was used in all the trailers. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, even done in the new movie that's coming out. It is. Karen's in the shower. And as she is shampooing her hair, a hand reaches out from her head through her hair and it's a very subtle delayed scare but i think it's very effective it is very effective and it almost doesn't look like an effect yeah it looks it looks really good uh in the new movie when they do it it's a lot more exaggerated and looks a lot more like an effect Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's a, a very good scare a little bit of trivia for you about this scene when they shot this it was discovered that Sarah Michelle Geller was allergic to Japanese water. Really? Which I can understand because water is always different depending on where you are. Uh-huh. But the thing that doesn't make sense about that story is, did she just show up and shoot that scene without showering at all somewhere else? Like, oh. she would have already known that or maybe she did know that. I don't know. But whatever the case may be is she had to wear something special where only her shoulders would show because the rest of her would get an allergic reaction to the water. We're next with Alex, who's walking in the university uh, down the stairs at the care center. As he's walking down the stairs, we see uh, Toshio is in a corner and he stops to look at him and Toshio's gone. And in walks Yoko, who is bloody Mm -hmm. and making this sloshing noise. Head down. Head down and just it looks bonkers. He tries to follow her, but then he slips on a wet spot. When he goes to examine it, it's just a bunch of blood. He asks her what happened and she turns around very slowly and lifts up her head. And we see that her jaw is missing and it cuts to Alex screaming and then Uh goes to black. Yeah, lots of these scares it's like, this is the end of the sequence, cut to black, and we're into a new scene, which is, it's pretty effective. I like way. it. This missing jaw scene, it was done digitally, look, mm-hmm. uh, but I was okay with it. It looked pretty good. Yeah. Karen is researching the house. She finds out that the man killed his wife and child, and Toshio is this dead kid. Under the report that she's seen in the newspaper, she sees Peter's death also being reported right underneath that. Next, we're with the detective who's reviewing security footage. He sees the shadowy figure video that we saw, but now we get more of it. Mm -hmm. We get it walking towards the camera, and he is very unnerved by this. And then the face covers the camera completely, and all all of a sudden, we just get these big eyes. Yeah, and that's pretty scary. Mm -hmm. And faint gurgling. 
Yeah. In this shadow scene, it's like her face is all black and she's only eyes. I almost would have preferred if that's how she was throughout the whole movie. Like, mm. I think that might have been a little scarier if it was just a black face with eyes. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I do think that her face, the full face is scary, but ooh, I just won't. Well, we'll get to it. OK. Next, we're back with Karen and she is leaving a note for Doug. She takes a trip to the harbor where Peter killed himself. She's put these two instances together. And she goes there to talk to Peter's wife, who is now a widow. She is more than willing to talk to her and actually gives her a bunch of photos to look through. Karen notices that in all of these photos of Peter, there is always a woman in the background and she gets very freaked out. Mm -hmm. And now we are with Peter. So we're in another flashback. Peter has gotten another letter from Kayako. He says that she says that she was a student of his, but he claims not to remember her. He goes to the house that's addressed on these letters that he's getting and rings the bell, but there's no answer. When he goes around the house, he finds Toshio, who is kind of hanging out this window and then falls back inside. So he presumably breaks into the house to find Toshio in the bathroom. He has bloody knees and a cut and is bruised up. He's not responding to any of Peter's questions. Next, Peter finds like a ripped up photo, which is the photo that we find earlier that's been pieced back together. But Uh here it's completely ripped up. And um, the thing, though, is the Kayoko's one, face is missing. The one that we found with Kayoko's face missing, mm-hmm. it didn't look like it was taped, though. Like it just looked crumpled up. But so, now we see it all ripped up, don't we? Yeah. So do you think it's supposed to be the same one? I think so. Okay. Because I think it's like literally the same one. Yeah. He hears a cat meowing and looks out the window. We get a shot of Peter facing us. So he's looking out the window towards us. And Toshio's behind him, who is opening his mouth to make the cat noises. He's and always meowing. He's always meowing. And it goes to black again. Karen now is at the police station to speak to the detective. She tells him about Peter. Um, and I should mention that the detective is now on the roof of the precinct the detective comments that he doesn't believe that peter killed himself and he goes on to tell her that three of his colleagues worked on the investigation into these deaths and that two of them died while one of them disappeared karen is alarmed and says that they've both been in that house as well and here we get the detective telling her about the curse that a death of uh, sorrow or rage causes a stain and death becomes part of that place and it will never let anyone who enters it go. It is said in Japan that when a person dies in extreme sorrow or no rage, the emotion remains becoming a stain upon that place. Yeah, this scene is pretty nicely written. Uh, nice piece of exposition. Mm-hmm. The detective is... Then looking at old newspaper articles and uh, photos of his colleagues, he decides that he's going to burn down this house and shows up with gasoline. He hears a child crying and splashing and he follows it to that back bathroom where he finds Toshio and is attacked by a man. Yeah, and we don't really know who this is at first. I was confused as to who it was, but we do find out. Yeah. Karen arrives back home looking for Doug, her boyfriend, and she's freaked out as soon as she sees all of her research has been printed out. Um, She finds a phone message from Doug telling her that Alex and Yoko are dead and that he went to the house looking for her because he found all of her research and was concerned. I found your research. Did you go to that house? And then this is where I have a problem with where this house is situated and where Karen could live. Because she she literally runs there. But yeah, she was, when she was taking that bus, it was from a different place. It wasn't from her house. That's what I need to, I just need to know. Yeah. It's running distance. So Karen literally runs there. And next we are with Doug and he's in the house and he's calling Karen. And she gets to the house and calls out for him. And here's a voice that says, hey, did you get my message? But then that voice just keeps talking. And she, as she follows the voice up the stairs, she enters this flashback of Peter. 
Peter's talking to his wife on the phone and enters the bedroom, the first bedroom to talk to Toshio, who does not respond and looks past Peter and looks at Karen. Peter tries to look at whatever Toshio is looking at, but can't see Karen. Tells him that it looks like his mom is going to be late and he goes to the back room. Here he finds photos of um, Kayako with her face ripped out. Um, And all of them are like, these photos are all in a pile. And he finds this diary of Kayako's infatuation with him. He then finds his photo in the diary as well, which is the the photo that we've seen before of it. His wife has been ripped out of this photo. Mm When he turns around and looks at the closet, the closet is covered in Kayako's face and bloody fingerprints. Um, So who do you think did that? The husband. He put her face all over the closet? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it has to be him. The journal flips and you hear flies buzzing and it's coming from the attic. Kayako's body then falls from the attic and Peter runs out and into uh, Toshio's room. But we don't see what he sees in there. And he runs freaked out of the house. Mm -hmm. Um, And we hear thumping from the room. When Karen enters that room, we see that Kayako's husband has hanged himself and his body is what's thumping against the wall. Yeah. And then we get a flashback within a flashback of the husband finding the journal, killing the cat and the son, and then chasing Kayako through the house. He doesn't even let the cat live. What a horrible person. Karen then exits this flashback and finds a hurt Doug at her feet. She's now downstairs. She pulls him as she hears the like squishing, squelching, and gurgling. And looks over at the stairs where we see a ghost Kayako coming down the stairs, um, who then crawls over Doug. Doug! And she's moving in that really weird stop motion-y way. Yeah. And Karen opens... Okay, so here I have a little bit of a problem. Karen opens a door to another ghost Kayako in the doorway. And it's the giant head that starts off at the top and then comes down. Yeah. (laughs) Not effective. (laughs) Well, I think that was the door to exit the house, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that, that... scene it is always weird it reminds me of those magic acts that people do where mm-hmm. their heads like it looks like their heads are falling down from their body mm-hmm. yeah it's a little I weird i think it would have been more effective if the head had just popped out and not done the thing where it comes down yeah i don't know i don't know that's like out of all of the effects i think that might be my least favorite i would choose the cgi over this effect yeah she sees the gasoline as the house begins to shake and she sets fire to it as uh, Kayako slowly takes over, like climbs over her. She already has the lighter at this point? Yeah, she's reaching. she reaches into Doug's pants and finds the lighter um, because Doug was smoking early on in the movie. Mm-hmm. And she's holding on to Doug and Doug turns into Kayako. Yeah, you think it's Doug reaching and holding her arm. But it turns into Kayako to stop her from burning the house down. Yeah. But Karen still is able to throw it. Yes. Next, we're with the younger detective. And he is identifying a body that to us right now is it has a sheet over it. Presumably, it's Doug's body. Right. And we find out that somehow Karen has survived and they need her to ID his body. Yeah, because the house, you know, went up in flames. So it's surprising that she has survived. She goes to look at the body, which is covered with a sheet, and it moves suddenly. Kayako's hair appears. And I do like how this hair drops out because it's just Mm -hmm. so neatly just kind of drops out. Yeah. And um, her arm falls out. Then when she looks again, it turns out to be Doug's hand or arm while she was at the morgue you could hear the detectives talking saying that they were able to save the house which means oh 
I did not catch that. Yeah, so mm. that means her plan of destroying where this evil took place didn't go through, so Kayako's still out there to get her. Yep, and she is behind Karen. Um, she's gurgling, and Karen turns very slowly around, as Kayako does, and it reveals Kayako's hair and solitary eye. Then it goes straight to black. And the we have the end. credits. Yeah. That's that, the grudge. Yeah, that's the grudge 2004. So how do you feel about the movie? I liked it a lot more this time than I did the first time. Yeah. Well, why didn't you like it the first time, you think? Oh, had The Ring already come out? Yes. I think that's why. Yeah, The Ring is a much better movie. It still is. I love The Ring. I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk about the biggest reason why I didn't like it the first time. The biggest reason I didn't like The Grudge the first time I saw it was because of the audience. I saw it in 2004 when it came out, probably opening weekend, and the audience was horrible. They were laughing and screaming at every little thing that happens. Mm -hmm. So it just took me out of the movie so much. Oh, gotcha. Now, seeing it again, I do like it more. I don't love it. No. It's not one of my favorite movies, but it does have some nice sequences, some nice scares. And, uh, you know, obviously, I, I felt it was worthy enough to talk about it in our podcast. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, why don't we move on to the little backstory of The Grudge? Sure. Here we go. Who are you? What are you doing here? <laughs> So we mentioned at the top of the show that this is an American remake of a Japanese film. Yes. That Japanese film was called Juon the Grudge. Yes. Uh, that's from 2002. And the American version came out two years after that in 2004. Which is very surprising how quickly they would have remade it for an American audience. Yeah. Also, what's unique about this American remake is it's the same director from the Japanese one. Mm -hmm. The movie was green lit because of The Ring. Once they saw The Ring was so successful in America, another Japanese remake, they thought, well, maybe The Grudge will have the same success. So they made the movie. Before they started filming the movie, uh, the cast and crew did have a ceremony on the set where they were blessed to make sure nothing would happen to them in real life. Mm -hmm. Lots of movies that deal with the supernatural do do that. Do-do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that the ghost family of... Toshio, Kayako, and Takeo. That's his name? Yeah, T-A-K-E-O. I just don't remember it ever being said. I don't think it is said, but okay. it's you know in the credits. Okay. But they are the same actors from the original film. I knew the little boy was. Mm -hmm. I think I knew that Kayako was as well. But was the... Because I know that the detective, Nakagawa? Yeah was in other Japanese horror movies. Yeah, I think that's right, but I don't think he was in the original Grudge. Okay, because I went through a whole Japanese horror phase where mm. I then um, decided that I was going to watch more of the Japanese versions and oh. other Japanese movies, and there are some real good Japanese movies. I haven't seen a lot of them. Are they usually oh. better than the American counterparts, you think? Yes. Hmm. Kayako is played by Takako Fuji. And remember when she's crawling down the stairs and it sort of looks like she's in stop motion? Uh-huh. Well, she was a contortionist and a ballet dancer, and apparently that was not a special effect. That's really her moving that way. That's amazing. Which is always shocking to me, because remember even in the Michael Jackson thriller video, there's that scene with three zombies that are moving really weird in stop motion? Yeah, that's called pop locking. I always thought that was an effect, too. It didn't skilled dance of the 80s yeah it's insane <laughs> maybe even the 90s so pop and or locking no it's both <laughs> <laughs> so she is uh doing that all of herself yeah and when she's moving that way they add sound effects of like her body snapping and things like that so and, good and that was done with the use of a hair comb oh and then the classic sound of her croak Mm -hmm. That is probably, I guess, the most famous thing to come out of this movie, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That was done by the director. It's his voice. I love that it's not explained in this movie. They decide to explain it in the next movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was his voice. His name is Takashi Shimizu. We should really put a disclaimer in here that we are horrible with all sorts of names. Yes, I'm we sorry if really I... really apologize. I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names. Oh, that was a pun? 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so as you just said, it is explained later why she has that croak, but it's supposed to represent her husband breaking her neck. Yes. And that's her trying to speak or or make noises through a broken windpipe. Yeah, yeah. We have Yuya Ozeki as Toshio. And as the father, Takeo, we have Takashi Matsuyama. Okay. <laughs> I like your very Dodger-esque announcement of that name. Takashi Matsuyama. <laughs> Matsuyama is batting 335. Uh, and then we have uh, the American cast. We have Sarah Michelle Geller as Karen Davis. You will also know her from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and horror movies such as I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scream 2. Mm-hmm. The first choice for that character of Karen Davis was Selma Blair, who uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar is good friends with in real life, and Uh they work together in Cruel Intentions and and Scream 2. Jason Burr plays Doug, Karen Davis's boyfriend, and he's most famous for Roswell. Did you ever watch Roswell on the WB? I did. I never really watched it, but I knew about it. And he also guest starred on an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. We have Katie Strickland as Susan, and she met her husband on the set. Oh, really? And do you know who her husband is? No. Jason Burr. Really? Really. Huh. <laughs> William Mapother plays Matthew. That's the creepy Tom Cruise <laughs> guy. His cousin. Tom Cruise's cousin. Ethan uh, Rom. Uh, Grace Zabriskie plays Emma. She, as I told you, was Mrs. Ross on Seinfeld, but she was also on Twin Peaks and she was in Child's Play 2. Clea Duvall plays Jennifer. I love her her too. Uh, She was on another great episode of Buffy. In fact, Sarah Michelle Gellar didn't even remember that she was on Buffy because they never had any scenes together because Clea Duvall played an invisible girl on Buffy. So it was more of a voiceover part. There were some flashback scenes, but Sarah Michelle Gellar wasn't in those scenes. In the horror realm, she is also from The Faculty. And she was on American Horror Story Asylum. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yep. Bill Pullman is Peter. And, you know, Bill Pullman from a bunch of things, including Independence Day and Spaceballs. (laughs) He's your president? He's my president. So you would vote for him as your favorite cinematic president? Uh, Dang it. I don't know. Well, I think so. I think so. I would vote for him over Harrison Ford, but it would be very, very hard. I say the best cinematic president, if we're including television, is David Palmer from Twenty Four. Well, we're not including television, though. Oh, then it's just movies. I'd have to think about it then. And then Bill Pullman, you know, he basically played the same character of Peter in a parody of The Grudge in Scary Movie Four. Oh, oh. Can we, I want to go back to the beginning of this podcast when I said I had a problem with Peter's death. Oh, yeah. What was your problem? Kayak was nowhere around to be seen. That's true, but maybe we just didn't see her. The audience didn't see her. Or maybe he did something to drive him to that. I give it to the point where it's the beginning of the movie, so obviously they're not going to spoil so much right away. Oh, we should have heard the gurgling? Yeah. Or like a cat? Yeah, but we could assume that he was haunted, right? Well, I mean... Yes, I think they needed just a little bit of a callback because it just feels like he's really out of it and then just kills himself. He didn't know this woman. He didn't have any recollection of her, at least in this movie. Yeah. When he gets that letter in the locker room, was it the locker room? Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen this movie, so I couldn't remember exactly his relationship with her. And I was like, oh, he's really a bad guy lying that he has no remembrance. That's what I thought, too. But it's I think it's true. Uh, He was just a teacher. Yeah. And uh, unless they end up doing something else as far as this movie stands. Yeah, I don't remember the sequel. So, yeah, if anything yeah. changes, I don't remember. But, but we're only talking about this movie. And as this movie stands, they do not have a relationship. Uh-huh. And he throws himself over that balcony. Well, maybe what, what would have been nice is they've had so many flashbacks. Maybe they should have flashed back to that scene of him yes. killing himself, showing what happened, why he did that. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yoko Maki plays Yoko. Yeah, same name. And Ryu Ishibashi plays Inspector Nakagawa. Mm-hmm. Ted Raimi plays Alex, who, uh, as I mentioned, is in a bunch of Sam Raimi movies. Uh, Sam Raimi uh, produced this movie, and you know he's the director of all the Evil Dead movies, Drag Me to Hell, Spider Man. He's a big 
big, big director. So a little bit of uh, history about the type of ghosts in these movies. Did you know there's a Japanese term for these ghosts? Um, possibly, but rem- refresh my memory. I believe it's pronounced onroyo. Onroyo? It's O-N-R-Y-O. Okay. And those are vengeful spirits that can physically manifest itself to attack and kill victims. Okay. The makeup jobs for Kayako and Toshio, uh, both of their makeup jobs took two hours each to apply. Oh, wow. I mentioned that I thought it might be neater if her face was all black, like in that scene in the security footage. Mm-hmm. There's something about her face that I don't like, that I don't find very scary. Is um, it because her eyes are too open? I a- think her eyes are too big like it's almost a little bit too comical maybe i think if she hadn't okay i mean she just looks scared more than anything yeah i I just thought they could have made her look a little scarier okay okay and then there's more to the backstory of this ghostly family that i think is explained to the japanese one more for instance remember kayako is covered in blood but we don't know why exactly Mm -hmm. well Takeo, he actually stabbed her many times with a box cutter. Oh. And they took it out of the movie because they wanted to keep this movie rated PG-13. Boo. (laughs) But it's restored in an unrated cut. So I don't know. I haven't seen the unrated cut, so I don't know exactly how they present that. But I think there might be a shot of him holding the box cutter in this movie. Okay. We were talking earlier about why the boy has the cat sounds. Mm Mm-hmm. They both die at the same time at the hands of the father uh, being drowned in the bathtub. And the theory is that their spirits have sort of mixed up. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a ghost cat talking somewhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's also an old Japanese legend where damned spirits of lost children become strays like oh. a cat. So that could be a, a reason why mm-hmm. the whole cat thing plays into it. Mm-hmm. And then remember, we find Takeo, the father, uh, swinging from, from a noose. Mm-hmm. The, the way it's presented in this movie, we're supposed to assume maybe he's killed himself after killing his family. Mm-hmm. Well, in the unrated version, we learned that Kayako got her revenge on her husband by ripping his jaw off and then strangling him with her hair. Oh, yeah. This is far more enter- entertaining. That seems like the wrong <laughs> word to use, but you know what I'm saying. I'm like, oh, oh yes. Why can't we see this? Yeah, gotcha. all for the PG-13 rating. <sighs> the whole house uh, was built on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The house was two stories, but the attic was a separate set. There is a deleted scene where Toshio attacks Matthew and becomes possessed by Takeo's ghost. Wait, who becomes possessed by? Matthew becomes possessed by Takeo's ghost after that scene where Toshio attacks him. Ah, gotcha. And then at one point, Susan tries to come over and he kicks her out of the house. Okay. When I was reading about that deleted scene, that part didn't really make sense to me. It wouldn't fit into the movie. Yeah. And like, why would he kick her out? Like... I guess maybe he's just tired of having to kill people. <laughs> I don't know. Or it could be like an internal struggle, kind of like... Um... Yeah, that's true. There was also an alternate ending. Oh? In this ending, we see Karen being saved from the burning house and put into an ambulance. And as she's leaving, she has a vision of the family entering, the ghost family, entering their home. And Toshio has this new pet cat. Yeah, not the best ending, but the biggest reason why they got rid of that was because i think the morgue scene was still attached to it and they thought it would have been better if for just a little moment you thought maybe she didn't survive Mm. the movie was released on october 22nd 2004 it was a huge hit and by the monday of its release date you know that weekend the sequel was greenlit Oh, wow. For a while, it had the highest grossing opening weekend for a horror remake. It was beaten by Friday the 13th. The movie had a budget of $10 million. How much do you think it made? I don't know. $187 million. Wow. That's a huge profit. It's the second highest grossing horror remake in the last 40 years behind The Ring. Oh, wow. Okay. And then The Grudge 2 came out in 2006. Mm Mm-hmm. The Grudge 3 came out in 2009. I didn't even know there was a Grudge 3. (laughs) I don't know if it was straight to video or what, but I don't Mm. remember a Grudge 3. And then there's a reboot that came out just this This month, month. 2020. But that's it. That's the story of The Grudge. The Grudge. Don't hold a grudge. 
when you watch The Grudge. Oh, so I believe Kayako and is it Sadako who? who is in the ring? There was a film in 2016 which pit Sadako against Kayako. Really? Yes. A Japanese film? Yeah. The film was teased in, as an April Fool's joke, but was later confirmed as a movie. And it came out in 2016. Yeah. Sadako is very much like beloved by the Japanese. I believe that uh-huh. um, they have a lot of, she's, I don't know, they just really love her. And um, there's a whole Hello Kitty line that came out <laughs> that I'm really bummed that I missed out on. Remember she threw out the first pitch at a baseball game? Yes. And there's also a video of Kayako as a batter. Oh. I don't think it's the same game, though. But, yeah. But, yeah. So, she's, like, she is also a horror icon for the Japanese people. And I love that so much. That's great. We also mentioned that we would talk about our thoughts about the trailer. The new one? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm scared. What do we do when we're scared? Count to five. One. Two. What did you think about it? Are you interested? I don't know what this is about. That is my main takeaway is there seems to be a lot of things happening that do not seem to be connected. And I don't know what it's about. And because of that, I want to see the movie. But then my Twitter feed was flooded with people absolutely hating this movie on the Thursday night before it came out. It looks like a remake, kind of, but in America. And because someone said that it takes place concurrently, I'm noticing that the cars are not modern. So it looks like it's not taking place in current day. Yeah. But what are the odds that the same scenario would happen where it looks like there's a lady that will probably have dementia and... Yeah, there's a tub. It has a lot of the same callbacks to this movie. So we'll see eventually how we feel about this new movie. Yeah. But that was our episode on the 2004 version of The Grudge. We thank you as always for listening and... Cynthia, where can everyone follow us and find us if they need to? That is a fantastic question, Robert. You can find us at podsandmonsters.com. You can find us on Instagram at podsandmonsterspodcast and on Facebook and Twitter at podsandmonsters. Um, We have updated our watch list, our episode guide on podsandmonsters.com and it goes all the way up to june so yeah um come along and join us yes and we do have some movies in there that people have requested so if you have any requests or suggestions please drop them in um, by sending us an email at podsandmonsters at gmail.com and we'll see what we can do about adding it to our future lineup that's right oh also if you enjoy our podcast please take a moment to rate and review us we very much appreciate it and it helps us get out there a little bit more or share us on the social medias because it really helps as well to get new listeners and we really appreciate it so for pods and monsters my name is robert i'm inthia and we thank you for listening goodbye good night good night or goodbye (laughs) (laughs) Argato.